Chapter Two of Carpenter's Geographical Reader, Asia by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. From America to Japan on a Big Ocean Steamer. Our first trip is to be across the Pacific, and we shall sail from America for the land of Japan. The Pacific is the largest of the oceans. From north to south, it is more than three times as long as the distance from New York to San Francisco, and between the western continent and Asia, as it goes toward the south, it spreads out in the shape of a gigantic fan, forming, as it were, a great liquid wedge between our world and that on the other side of the globe. The edge of the wedge is driven in between the two great bodies of land at Bering Strait. At that point, it is less than 40 miles wide, a distance so short that it is said on clear days one might sit in his reindeer sledge in Alaska and see the cold hills of Siberian Russia. The wedge widens rapidly as we go to the south, and if we attempted to cross it along the line of the equator, starting in South America, we should travel 10,000 miles before we came to the Moluccas, the group of islands where Magellan's ship landed on the other side of the Pacific. If we sailed from Lower California, along the Tropic of Cancer, we should have 8,500 miles to go before we reach China, and from San Francisco to Yokohama, Japan, a little farther north, the distance is about 4,500 miles. This last route is along one of the great high roads of the Pacific Ocean, but a still shorter way can be found by going to Vancouver or Prince Rupert and taking a Canadian vessel or by sailing on one of the big American steamers from Puget Sound to Japan. The latter route is the one we shall travel. Our vessel is one of the greyhounds of the Pacific. It is propelled by steam, and the distance is now a matter of hours rather than space. It will take us from 10 to 12 days to go from North America to Asia, and we shall be quite as safe on the boundless deep as in our own house at home. The ship itself is a wonder. It is one of the palaces of the ocean and is made almost altogether of steel. It is about 500 feet long and more than 50 feet wide. It is long enough to stretch the whole length of the average city block and it would fill the street from side to side. The vessel is as high as an eight-story house and it has as many rooms as a large hotel. It has its parlors and kitchens, its sleeping rooms and bathrooms, and it contains a butcher shop, a bakery, a carpenter shop, and all sorts of machinery. The dining room is so large that several hundred can sit down to the tables at once, and we find the food quite as good as that we have at home. Our waiters are yellow Chinese boys dressed in blue or white gowns, and we order by the numbers which are marked opposite each dish on the bill of fare. We are delighted with our cabins, the little rooms which form our homes throughout the voyage. Each room accommodates two of us, and we sleep in two narrow beds or bunks built against the wall, one over the other, much like the berths of a sleeping car. The room has a sofa as well, and also places for washing and hooks for our clothes. It has an electric bell, by which we call our Chinese room boys, and it is lighted by electricity. The great steamer has hundreds of such rooms, they run from story to story down to the lower decks, which are filled with a cargo of wheat, 
flour, and other merchandise, which we are taking from the United States to our customers in Japan and China. The whole interior of the ship, including the machinery, is encased in a shell of steel, not much thicker than your little finger, and it is this alone that keeps out the sea. It is in this shell that we are to travel over more than 4,000 miles of water without once coming in sight of land. We tremble a little as we think of the dangers, but the captain says that the loss of life on big ships is comparatively small and that we are really much safer than we should be on land. Soon after leaving, we go down below the decks to see the mighty machinery, which is noiselessly but steadily forcing our great vessel on its way through the ocean. The engineer tells us that his engines represent 20,000 horsepower and that it would take a compact line of two horse teams more than 20 miles long, all pulling at once to equal their force. He shows us the fuel that is daily required to feed them and says it takes several thousand tons of coal to make the steam for each voyage. It is a big dwelling house that uses 20 tons of coal in one year. Our steamer burns several hundred tons every day, and enough in one voyage to supply a hundred such homes with fuel all the year round. Indeed, many a large village does not use so much coal in twelve months as we shall consume in the two weeks we are traveling. We stay a while far down in the hold, watching the half-naked Chinese shoveling the coal into the furnaces. It is hot, and the perspiration stands out on their yellow skins as they throw the black lumps into the fire. There are thirty-two of them so employed, and they are divided into gangs of eight, each laboring six hours at a stretch. The shoveling goes on all day and all night, never stopping from the beginning to the end of the voyage. Coming again upon deck, we find ourselves far out at sea. There is no land in sight, and the captain tells us we shall see none for ten days, or until we reach the islands along the east coast of Asia. We shudder at the possibility of breaking down in these watery wastes of the Pacific, where we might float for days and weeks without meeting a steamer, and we wonder what we should do in case of a wreck. We feel a little safer a few days later, when the captain says we are just off the Aleutian Islands, and that the course here is so near the shores that the passengers can sometimes hear the foxes bark as the ship goes by. We next approach the Kuril Islands, a rocky chain belonging to Japan, and then turn to the south and sail for several days well out at sea along the Japanese coast. The weather now grows steadily warmer, and it seems to us we can almost smell the land of Japan. We go southward some distance out from the island of Yizo, and have sailed halfway down the coast of the great island of Hondo, when one morning our Chinese boy awakes us with the cry that land is in sight and that we shall soon be on Asiatic soil. End of chapter 2